0: Our friend historian Timothy P. Brown recently had a post of the biggest dudes in football history prior to World War I. The names of this list are varied, some famous, while some others you may have never heard of. Tim reminds us to remember the big guys from over a hundred years ago in this podcast and in his post, coming up in just a moment.
1: This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes
0: Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes at PixieandDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome again to TuesdayFootballArchaeology.com Day with Timothy P. Brown joining us. Uh, Tim, welcome back to the Pigpen.
2: Thank you, Darren. Look forward to chatting once again. Trying to see what we can uh, uncover here.
0: Yeah. You, uh, you know, we always talk about, you have some unique items that, that you share in the daily tidbits and uh, we'll tell the listeners how to to join that each and every day here near the end of this podcast. Uh, but you have one that's really unique and you're talking about uh, the size of players uh, back before the world wars and uh, really interested to, to hear what you have to say about that.
2: Yeah. So, you know, th- this tidbit is, was about a guy named uh, Robert Blanchard and this is a you know just classic example where I was looking for one thing and I, you know, kind of the article next to it shows this illustration or drawing, um, of this rather large individual, <laughs> and so, you know, I recorded that and then came back to it later on and, so, um, but so basically it's you know kind of the idea is, this guy was a very big player. I mean, a huge man today by today's standard, but, you know, back in the day. And really, I would I would say until just after World War II, oftentimes the linemen were about the same size as the backs. Now that seems, you know, kind of impossible nowadays because you know there there really is a quite a discrepancy. Although you see some of the things that you know see, see some of the guys running around the combine, you know, uh, <laughs> you realize there's there's some uh, athleticism in very large sizes nowadays, but um so anyways um so you know it, it was just kind of caught my eye and you know it kind of took me back to one of the first football collectible items i bought was a you know football a game program and it was like uh princeton versus somebody from you know like 1943 and you know i was just looking at the then and, and between the two teams i think there were like two guys over 200 pounds and you know so Um, so then to see this Robert um, uh, Blanchard and at his size was pretty striking. So, you know, it kind of caused me to go back and look at, okay, so who were some of the, who were claimed to be the biggest guys in college football at different times uh, pre-World War II anyways. Um, And mostly I looked at pre-World War I, but, you know, so one of the guys, Pudge Heffelfinger, uh, you know, famous Yale player, but, He was considered massive, but he was also very quick, played guard for them, but he was 210 pounds. And then there is Tiny Maxwell, uh, who was considered, you know, just massive. um, And he was 240, which, you know, today is like, you know, yeah, linebackers, 240 pounds. Um, And then, you know, there were a bunch of guys that were like 270 pounds or better, but, you know, just. Only a couple of guys here and there. But this Robert Blanchard, who played for Hinsdale High School in New Hampshire, he was 6'2, 4'10. So, you know, that's a big boy. And, you know, the, the newspaper articles, you know, said he was pretty agile, you know, for his size, but uh, still, you know, he, he didn't play college football or anything. He was so big that, you know, he, he couldn't get football pants. You know, I mean, they, they were making the, you know, the old quilted pants, you know, back at the time with the padded, you know, the the whole front of the pads or front of the pants were padded. Um, So, you know, I mean, he was one of these guys who was so big, he, he kind of became kind of a, he was like a cir- circus uh, exhibit, you know, that they got bigger crowds when they went on the road, just because everybody wanted to see this big guy play, you know, um. So, I mean, it sounds like he was a decent player, you know, like I said, I think earlier that he didn't play college. So, um, you know, he just kind of went off and lived his life, but um, 410 pound or 412 pound man. That's a pretty good sized fellow. So, so then it also gets into the, you know, I don't think I really covered this much in the, in the tidbit was, but it's the, okay. So what changed? Why do we have so many, so much discrepancy now between backs and linemen and you know there's gradations you got tight ends and linebackers and you know they're kind of somewhere in between um but so you know I think one of them is just um uh I, well I have got like four or five different reasons and if you want to jump in and throw throw one or several have at it but I think you know so one of the things is just nutrition you know societal nutrition you know I mean mm-hmm. I know when you know the GI's inducted in, in World War II, the average guy was like five, eight, 145. You know so that's not a real big fella, right? Um, yeah, but now you know you go to any high school and there's all kinds of kids who are six five, six four, and you know pretty sizable. It's not all, all not all of them carrying good weight, but nevertheless, I mean, there's there's a lot of big frames out there. You know, if nothing else, so you know I think that's got to be mostly just you know as much as we decry Mm -hmm. the nutrition nowadays um, and rightfully um, you know, it's still better than it was. Right. You know, people just have food on the table pretty much all the time.
0: Yeah. and, And that was probably right, right. In that era when, um, uh, you know, up in Michigan, they were, they were starting like the training tables for the athletes and, and stuff too, that gave them better nutrition, at least during the football season, uh, for the football athletes. And I think that carried on and became, you know, like today people are nutritionalists all year long, even in the off season, they're, they're training. So I, I think there's a lot of merit to that with the nutrition and, uh, you know, I think our foods today have a lot more preservatives. I think that makes us all gain a little bit more weight than probably our ancestors did. It makes us grow taller and have features that are larger than, uh, you know, previous generations. So I I think there's a lot of hurt to what you say.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah, there's other, like for me, really the number one thing in my mind is uh, it's two platoon football kind of combined with um, free substitution, you know, I mean, it, you think about, I mean, again, as good of athletes as some of these offensive linemen and defensive linemen are, if they had to play every down, if they were 60-minute men, they might still be the same guys out there playing, but they would not carry the kind of weight that they're carrying now. You know, they just, they would, you know, they would have used all the scientific advances to train to a different style of body and i think you just look at you know rugby players you know world-class rugby players there aren't you know i mean 240 is kind of the top end i mean here and there there's going to be somebody some samoan dude who's like you know uh or new, new zealander who's you know 260 or 265 but you know those guys are you know they're big men big frames they're just not anywhere near the size of a six seven six eight offensive tackle
0: you know yeah but didn't uh, and not not the I don't want to ruin your thunder here. But didn't the role of the tackle back in that era was a little bit different than it is now because they they could carry the ball. They uh, you would yep. really want you like your best athlete like Pudge Heffelfinger. I mean, there's there's a reason why he was the first paid professional player. Everybody wanted him on their team because he was so valuable at that tackle position. Yep. Not that not that tackles aren't valuable today, but. I mean, he, they were like the superior athletes of, of the era. That's where you wanted your best player to be. So
2: yeah. I... Yeah, and yeah. So, I mean, guards, tackles, ends, carried the ball. You know, I mean, you look at the old stag and camp, you know, books, they got play designs showing all of that. Um, and, you know, just read the old newspapers and, and that that's quite clear. Um, but it's, you know, so... And then, like, you think about, like, it used to be that the center was some teams had big centers and others said, no, we want a little bit smaller guy. Cause especially when they started dropping the center off the line a little bit on defense and they called them a roving center. And that was really the start of kind of what we now think of as middle linebackers. You know, that guy had to be able to move laterally. Right. And so if there's a big, you know, heavier, powerful guy, that might help them on offense, but not so much on defense. You know, so you you need to, you just need to be able to move, you know, a bit more. Um, and again, it had to do offense and defense. Um, you know, quarterbacks you typically didn't have a guy who was six five six six. You know, because he had to play safety as well, right? You know, so you know, just and then then the other thing, especially with the linemen, um, is the change in offensive blocking rules. You know once you gave offensive tackles the ability to out you know extend their arms now all of a sudden you can have a six eight six seven guy with long arms and boom you know he's just could be past you know I mean he's attacking to some extent but whole different strategy than like when I played it you couldn't do that yet <laughs> right you punched you punched him back and backed up punched and backed up I and mean, that's what you did you know as an offensive lineman. Yeah, so, it's sort you
0: know, of it's level levels of player levels the playing field out a little bit for those those larger, uh, taller players, like you say before, you know, with the, the old blocking rules, you know, the the lower center of gravity guys would win every time again, you know, a a six three guy that weighed 250 would would, you know, kill a six foot eight guy. He couldn't do anything to the you know yeah to turn that defender that little fire plug from coming in, you know, if he wanted to. But now that that gives him his reach and everything else, uh with the hands. So I think that's a that's a great rule that they when they change that. And that was probably only nineteen eighties I think they changed that.
2: Yeah, it started changing in the second half of the seventies. It okay. changed it in the pro level first and then uh then at the college level. Yeah. Um and then obviously you know beyond all of that you also just you know the scouting and uh you know the the selection process and you know we're much better at you know they did rope drill not rope drills but you know they did like box drills and all kinds of uh tr- you know attempts to make guys uh you know to improve their um their ability to move um but you know weight training and and skills training is so much more advanced you know especially post 1970 or you know that kind of era is when it, that really started taking shape hmm. so anyway it's just it's a whole bunch of reasons but yeah there's some big boys out there on the on the field nowadays
0: yeah but uh, i don't think i've ever seen anybody 410 pounds uh, like you said <laughs> this is no. uh, robert bob, blanchard was back in bob the day was,
2: bob was a big fella
0: <laughs> yeah i guess so <laughs> And there's a, you have a really nice uh, sketch uh, of him. Uh, I don't think you drew it, but uh, I think it's from back in the day of him standing next with the football on his arm next to another gentleman who I'm going to assume is like the average size guy and just towers over him and looks like, uh, you know, looks like a, a child next to an adult. <laughs> what yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, folks. Like we said, we're going to have links uh, to Tim's site on this article. So make sure you follow those and take uh, advantage of some of these images he has on the, the tidbits as well. Uh, some great stuff that uh, really uh, goes to to prove the point of of what the story that's being told. So, uh, Tim, I just want to mention uh, you mentioned earlier one of your examples besides Pudge Heffelfinger, you know, Tiny Maxwell, and he's he's uh, kind of an interesting fella. A uh, couple really big. Um, games that he was, maybe not games, but the big events in football history that he was involved with. uh, For one, he was sort of the the face of um, the the rough brand of football that uh, story goes that uh, President uh, Teddy Roosevelt saw a photograph of Tiny Maxwell after a a game that he played in college and was beat up pretty bad. And it sort of uh, made his urgency to call uh, the powers that be into the, the white house to talk about reforming football and then a few years after that in the 1906 season uh they had a big game at the professional level massillon and canton massillon tigers and the canton bulldogs played big rivalry and ended up being uh, a very scandalous game and but they knew it was the big rivalry they wanted the biggest guy they could to keep control of this game so they got you know big uh tiny Maxwell to, to officiate and to, he was the official on that game that where professional football almost ended that day because of, uh, uh, the scandalous affairs that happened sort of outside of the game. But, uh, just he's an interesting name in football history.
2: Yeah. You know, well, he, he officiated, you know, a lot once he was, once he was, you know, out of, you know, once he no longer played. So, but I, I was, I'm not, wasn't aware of the, the, the Canton story. So I'll have to check that up, that one out
0: yeah it's a big event almost ended pro football <laughs> the, the big 1906 controversy so uh tim uh, why don't we uh share with the the listeners how they can uh listen in or, or i'm sorry read on in your tidbits that we talk about here each tuesday but you because you have these coming out 365 days a year and uh really enjoyable and unique stuff
2: yeah uh, so it's you know if you if you're interested in getting them, uh, just go to my website footballarchaeology.com I mean obviously you can just read anything at your leisure there but um, if you want to get them every day just subscribe and you'll get an email at seven o'clock eastern every day with you know whatever I, I wrote for, for that particular um 24 hours and then a couple of others you know here and there a little bit longer articles um, once twice a month typically. Um, or the alternative is to um you know just follow me on on Twitter at football archaeology uh, and there it's going to become a little bit more hit or miss whether you see it or not but um so kind of up to you however you like to consume information um either one's available to you
0: All right. Timothy P. Brown, footballarchaeology.com is the name of the website. His daily tidbits are available, and uh, you can also listen to him here, pigskindispatch.com on each and every Tuesday. Tim, we thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week.
2: Hey, great. Looking forward to it. See you in uh,
0: seven days. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history.
1: on your favorite podcast provider, multiple times each week. So remember that. Darren Hayes, the host of the Big Skin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.